0: As I think about Christmas, I think about uh, many of us, we want to try and plan the perfect Christmas. Like, see something on Pinterest or an Instagram, we're like, man, we want to have the, the picture-perfect Christmas, you know, with everything put out just right. But oftentimes, um, our expectation and our reality are not the same thing. For example, uh, maybe you are one of those people that likes to decorate your house for Christmas, and you see something on the internet of the expectation looking like this, and the reality, when you get done, it looks like that. And that's the Christmas expectation versus reality. If you've got kids, uh, you see that picture of, uh, of a kid sitting on Santa's lap smiling perfectly. And you're like, that's what I want. And so you go and you get ready for your Christmas photo with Santa. And it doesn't quite look like what you saw on the interwebs. And uh, then it's Christmas time and kids are off school. And you're like, I know what I'll do. I'm going to take the kids out skiing. We're going to go play in the snow and have a great time in the snow. And this is what we expect. And that's the reality when we are frozen halfway to uh, Timbuktu. It's almost like no matter how much you plan for Christmas, like it just doesn't go the way you want it to go. It's not perfectly planned. In fact, I remember when I was growing up, my mom, uh, my mom spent a lot of time trying to figure out one year what would be a great gift for, for Kevin, and so uh, she decided, uh, you know, what would be a great gift for an eight, nine-year-old Kevin, as well as an 18-year-old Kevin, or a 35-year-old Kevin, or any man, a great gift for us is a remote control car, right? So my mom, she got this gift, she had this great idea, she wrapped it up, put it under the tree, and I opened it up on Sunday morning, and the excitement was amazing, it was a remote control car, how awesome is this? I start taking the box apart, and guess what? There's no batteries. No batteries. Now, my house growing up, like we never had batteries in the house. It was So I'm searching everywhere. I'm pulling the batteries, trying to pull them out of the TV remote, but they're already pulled out of the TV remote. And I'm like, where are we supposed to get batteries? And my mom, she starts feeling really bad because she had this great idea, wanted this picture-perfect Christmas. So we jump in the car, and we drive to three stores that are all closed. So we're sitting in front of the store, and I'm bawling. I'm in tears. I'm weeping and wailing. Somebody's like, what happened to this poor kid? And my mom's like, I don't know. So we ended up going to the gas station. And we spent $25 on batteries. Because that's what the gas stations do. They know that they're the last place to get batteries. So on Christmas Day, they skyrocket prices. That's a good business idea, Sam. We should consider that. Uh-uh. And this picture-perfect idea, this guy, this idea of a per- perfect Christmas, it just didn't happen to fruition. In fact, another time I was thinking about how Christmas, you have this expectation versus reality. My wife, one year, she said, hey, 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 Kevin, how about we save some money and not buy gifts for each other? And I'm like, whew, that's awesome. I'm thinking about all the people I have to shop for. And I don't shop for anybody now because my wife does all the other shopping. So I'm like, this is the best Christmas ever. Until we get to Christmas morning, kids are unwrapping their gifts, and she's like, oh, by the way, here's a little something for you. And I'm like, this is horrible, because now I look like a jerk. Now I'm like the worst husband ever. And it ruined my entire day, because she broke the rules. And bu- so men, listen, if your wife is like, hey, let's not buy anything for each other, don't listen, okay? Just do yourself a favor, tuck something away, hide it, so that way when you can pull it out if need be. I'm just, that's some wisdom for you. Amen to that. What I have found is, is Christmas, as much as we want to have this picture-perfect Christmas, oftentimes our Christmas is kind of a beautiful mess. The Christmas story is, is a, a beautiful mess. Uh, in fact, w- when I think about the Christmas parade this past year, when we, we put together our Christmas float, I remember going and watching the, the Christmas parade, and you see the Coca-Cola truck drive by, and you're like, wow, that thing is blitzy. That thing has bling-bling all over it. And uh, then as a church, we put together a simple float. We put together a manger scene. Kind of like, man, like it, it, lacks, it lacks the glamour. It lacks, lacks the, the bright lights. It lacks the bling bling. But isn't that what Christmas is? It's simple. It, it's, 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 it's a beautiful mess is what it is. And the reality of our, uh, the Christmas story is that's the way it works. There's these great contrasts that make a beautiful mess. The Christmas story, you see that in the way that God chose to reveal himself. A great contrast. God, the creator of the universe, he decides to come and reveal himself to mankind as a baby. Great contrast. A beautiful mess. You see that in the way that the shepherds, or the angels, the angels, they could have chosen to go to anybody in all the world to proclaim the Savior has been born. And the angels chose to go to some shepherds. Shepherds were the lowliest people in that day. Shepherds were people who, they were so low that they wouldn't be allowed to give testimony in court because they were untrustworthy. Yeah, that's who the angels came to tell about the Savior being born. In fact, you look at the parents, the earthly parents that God gave uh, Jesus, and you're kind of like, this is a beautiful mess. You've got a teen mom, you've got a young man who works building furniture, he works with his hands. He's got a very simple job. These are the parents that God chose to raise His Son. In fact, you look at His birthplace. Think about where where a king should be born. Think about these great places, and He's born in a stable. And this isn't this isn't the stable that you and I have in our nativity set sitting on our, our our coffee table. This isn't a clean and sterile little stable. This is a dirty, filthy stable in which. Jesus was born. The Christmas story is full of these contrasts, but make the Christmas story a beautiful mess. And what I find is the Christmas story very much relates to my story and your story and all of our stories, that we have this this beautiful mess in our stories, And every one of our stories, just like in the Christmas story, there's pain and there's struggle and there's heartache and there's difficulty. In addition to that, In every one of our stories, there is something that doesn't make sense to us. Something that happens and we're like, I don't understand this, just like happened when Jesus was born. Or or maybe it's something that maybe we understand, but maybe the people around us don't understand. Where we say, hey, this is the way that God's calling me to live. And people around us say, I don't understand why you would live like that. In all of our stories, just like in the Christmas story, there's some kind of redemption. Some kind of of hope. Some kind of, of healing. And finally, just like in the Christmas story, there's a reminder from God that he sent us Emmanuel, Jesus, God with us. And somehow that becomes enough in our lives to, to remain faithful to him, that God is with us. So Matthew chapter 18, we're going to look and see how, how, what, what kind of beautiful mess the Christmas story really is. That's what I want to see today. Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 says, now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When Mary, uh, when his mother Mary had been betrothed or engaged to Joseph, and that's where I want to stop for just a second, because what I find is when you look in the Bible and you're trying to understand the relationship between Joseph and Mary, like that's all you get right there. There's so, no, there, there, we get seven verses that kind of deal with Mary and Joseph and, and having the baby in, in Matthew chapter 1. In Matthew chapter, chap, excuse me, in Luke chapter 1, you get seven verses kind of dealing with uh, Mary and, and the way that she became pregnant. But you don't hear anything about their relationship. And so sometimes I think the fear is, because there's not many details to their relationship, is we think Mary and Joseph, we think they're like these, these super godly, like, like greater than I could ever be kind of people. And they were, they're not. Mary and Joseph were normal, everyday people just like you or I. And I don't want us to have this view that they're so great and they're so high and mighty. I want them to understand that they are just like us. So, so what I want to do is because the Bible doesn't give us some details, I want to help us to humanize them a little bit. Help relate to them where you can, you and I can understand. So what we're going to do is, is we're going to add a little bit of the back story. Okay, we're we're going to use our imaginations and try and picture what it was like for Mary and Joseph. So, so here, here's, here's what I'm, I'm doing here. I'm thinking Mary. Now we know that she was a, a Christian. We know that she loved God. So being a Christian, she probably would have gone to youth group on Wednesday night at the synagogue. Because that's what every good uh, Christian student does, right? Teenager does. So she goes to youth group and she, she finds her little homegirls. And she's sitting with them. And in walks the new leader. New youth leader named Joey. Joey was charming. Joey... Joey stood up that day to to teach from uh, the book of Isaiah about the coming Christ. And and Mary and her friends, they're really trying to listen to the story, but they just can't get over gushing over how cute Joey is. So Mary has this little crush on Joey. And what does Mary do? She does what any of you would do. She goes home and Facebook stalks him. Joey, what can I find about Joey? Now, Now, don't laugh because I know you guys all do that. You meet somebody, you want to go find out about them, so you go on Facebook and see all you can learn about them. She goes on Facebook, and she's like, wow, girls, read this. He builds furniture. He has a job, a J-O-B. Now, she gets really excited because her last boyfriend, he didn't have a job. All he did was was sit at home in his parents' basement playing Xbox all day long. Pew, 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 pew. Look at me. I'm playing Xbox. So all of a sudden, Joey isn't just, he doesn't just love God. He doesn't just, uh, he isn't cute. He also has a job, and she's like, "Oh my gosh, I think I'm in love." So uh, Mary continues to go to youth group because she knows she wants to talk to Joey, and she's kind of trying to lay it on Joey. And finally, one day, Joey says, "Hey, Mary, do you, would you like to go to Northdown Coffee House with me after youth group tonight?" And Mary's like, Ooh. "I wonder, is this like, is this like friend coffee, or is this like more than friend coffee? Like, what are we going here for?" And Joey's kind of doesn't say it, but it's more than friend coffee. They have a good time together. They exchange phone numbers. They start texting. start spending more time together. And it's really exciting. And one day, Mary's like, hey, Joey, why don't you come to mom and dad's house? Why don't you come to my house? I want you to meet my mom and dad. And Mom and dad, they love him. He brings a flower for mom, and, and he shakes dad's hand, and he's got that firm grip, you know, because he works with furniture. He's got a hard handshake, a good manly handshake. and And, and pretty soon... Pretty soon, it's almost like it's almost like every song on the radio, every love song on the radio begins to make sense to Mary and Joseph. Like this is our story. So Joey takes a little bit of that furniture money and he goes down to K Jewelers, puts a down payment. It was there that day, I think so. He puts a down payment on a ring, on a big old rock, and he takes Mary and says, "Hey, let's go for a walk in the snow. Let's go on a walk in uh, Kauaichi Canyon." And they go for a walk. And he gets down on one knee and says, Mary, Mary, would you marry me? He says, Mary, marry me. I, I love that. That's fun. And she says, yes, of course I will. And they're so excited. And they run home and they tell Mary's mom, guess what? He's, he engaged, he proposed. And I said, yes. And, and Mary's mom starts planning all the details to the wedding. And she's kind of a control freak. So she's making everybody go crazy. And she's planning all the wedding. And Mary and Joseph, mom, is planning the wedding. What do Mary and Joseph do? They do what any of us do. They start dreaming about the future. Dreaming about ah, this is what we want our life to be like. Like we want, ah, like, look at that house. We want a house like that when we get bigger. And, and Joey, you can continue doing your, your carpentry business. And maybe a few years down the road, when you get some more experience, Joey, you could open your own carpenter store and furniture store, and you can do this. And and and, and Mary's thinking, man, I want two kids. You know, I'm gonna wait five years after we get married. And then I want to have two kids. First, I want to have a little boy, and we'll name him Kevin, because that's a really good name for a little boy. And then we'll have the little girl, and we'll name her Kevina, because, you know, again, it's a good name. And so you picture this is the setting. These are these are everyday people. And one day, Luke, Luke 1 is gonna tell the story, but I'm just gonna summarize it for you. One day, Mary's out and she's having some time alone. And she has this encounter with the Holy Spirit where all of a sudden an angel appears to her and says, Mary, Mary, you've been chosen by God. You've been chosen by God. You are going to give birth to a son. And she's like, hold up, angel. Hold up, angel. Maybe you didn't know, but me and Joey, we're, we're waiting for marriage. Like, we're not like we're waiting. That, that's not, I can't give birth to a son. That's not possible. The angel says, listen, listen. This is something the Holy Spirit's going to do. This is a miracle that we're going to do with you. And you're going to give birth to God's own son. And that's what verse 18 in Matthew chapter 1 summarizes. Verse 18 says, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, again, you've got to picture yourself in Mary's shoes. This is a young girl who loves God with all of her heart. This is the girl when the holy when the angel came. uh, The Holy Spirit or Mary said, "Man, I love God. Whatever God wants, I'll do." And so God says, "Okay, you're going to give birth to a son, and he's going to be my son." And she's like, "Okay, I'm in." And you can anticipate like she loves God. She's excited about this. We are we are. I'm chosen by God. We get to be a part of history. There's an excitement. She can't wait to go and tell Joey what happened. But let me ask you this. How many of you think that Joey's going to be excited? How many of you think Joey's going to freak out? Okay, I'll tell you what, Joey freaks out. He freaks out. He's like, what? The Holy Spirit? Who is he? Where is he? I'll kill him. Like, like, where's he at? I'll beat him up. Like, how would you respond when you're in that setting? If if, if your spouse comes to you or your fiance comes to you and says, hey, listen, I, I, I've been... I'm pregnant, and and it's by the Holy Spirit. God did it. Like, how would you respond? What would you do? Any of you be excited? Any of you freak out? So this is what Joey does, verse 19. It says, and her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. See, Joseph, he would have been devastated. He would have been crushed. There would have been humiliation that he would have had to endure. This would have been something that would have left him broken hearted. I mean, Joey's probably already paid the deposit to the uh, Nazareth uh, estate winery for the wedding venue. The, the invitations have already been sent out. And now Joey's got to go home and tell mom and dad, yeah, this is what happened with Mary. He's got to go and find all his friends and say, listen, guys, the wedding's off because this is what happened. And not only is there just this this idea of of public uh, humiliation, but there's also this brokenheartedness because Joey trusted her. Like he 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 shared the deepest recesses of his heart. They made plans together. They dreamed about the future together, and now all of that is gone and she's ripped his heart out and thrown it on the ground and stomped on it. And he decides, you know what? I'm going to divorce her quietly as an act of grace, despite being betrayed by Mary. What about Mary? What's going on with her? Remember, the angel comes and says, Mary, we want you to do this. And she says, God, I love you. God, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. And now, Joseph's going to divorce her. Now, her life is over. She's a teen mom with no husband. Listen, when you put that on your Tinder profile, like nobody swipes for that. Nobody wants that as someone they want to be seeking, a teen mom with no husband. She wouldn't be able to get a job to support her family. She would be bound to begging for the rest of her life to provide for her and her son. And imagine, imagine the rumors that are running around that youth group. Imagine all the things. When she, when Mary walks into the room, imagine all the quiet words what's going on, the rumors. Mary, Mary, quite contrary. What do you think Mary was thinking? Like, God, like, God, what happened? God, I said yes. God, I said I would do what you wanted me to do. And God, you're, you're it's all falling apart. God, what are you doing here? This isn't fair, God. Why are you letting this happen? Listen, there are some of us in here And this is where you are, where you made those dreams and those plans for your life. You had those those visions, and you wanted things to happen in your life. You wanted your life to play out just like this. But things didn't go according to your plan. You weren't planning on having to face these medical battles that you've been wrestling with. You weren't planning on searching for a job again. In fact, you weren't planning on being the dead-end job that you are, the job that you hate, but the job you have to do to pay the bills. Some of you approached this Christmas season, and you weren't planning on spending another Christmas alone. Some of you weren't expecting to be separated or divorced this Christmas. Some of you weren't planning for the car to break down, for the power bill to be so high, for all those things that happen that, that make us take our money and put it to there instead of putting it to Christmas like we'd really like to do, and it seems like everybody else does. In fact, I talked to a guy this week, and this is a guy who, who loved God, was very faithful to God, who raised his kids well in the church, did everything he could for them. Now his kids are adults, and they've made their own decisions and have walked away from God. That's not how he planned his kid's lives. That's not how he planned his life to turn out. Teenagers didn't plan on failing that test in the class that they needed a good grade to get into the college that they wanted to get to. You don't plan on having that friend turn their back on you. You don't plan on having the depression or the migraines. You don't plan on losing your hair or gaining weight. But things don't always go according to plan. And that's where the Christmas story becomes a beautiful mess. Because if I was there many years ago when Joseph and Mary were having their life that seems to be devastated, I would have pointed them to the book of Proverbs chapter 19 that says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. See, something that the story of Mary and Joseph teaches us that applies to us today is that you and I, we don't have to understand the plan. To trust that God has a purpose. In our life and whatever's happening in your life right now, you do not have to understand the plan to trust that God has a purpose. Because to Mary and Joseph, if they were going according to their plans, everything's been derailed, everything's blown up. Like they, all reality, they could just lose hope, they could quit on God, they could say, God, you haven't been faithful to accomplish my plans, God. So here's Joey planning divorce because things aren't working out. And this is what happens in verse 20. Matthew 1.20 says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived is in her is from the Holy Spirit. And Joseph says, wait a second, wait a second. You mean everything that Mary said was true? Like the Holy Spirit wasn't a guy? Like it was really like that Holy Spirit? The angel's like, yes, it's all true. And so verse 21 is going to show us God's purpose in this. It says, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Why did God ruin their plans? Why did God sing Jesus? Why is God devastating the, 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 this young couple and the plans that they had for life? Because of verse 21, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jim Herring, uh, a man who I greatly admire, had a, had a chance to preach last week. And one of his points was that one of the ways that, as Christians that we show that we are dedicated to God is that we learn to be a people who puts God's purposes above our own. That we be a people who learn to put God's purposes above our purposes and above our plans. And you can just picture Joseph sitting there. The angel comes and says, listen, the Holy Spirit did this because she's going to give birth to a son. And he's going to save the people from their sins. You can picture Joseph saying, man, man, you mean there was a purpose behind all this pain? Like, Like the worst thing I could have imagined that just happened? Like God actually planned that? God had a reason for that. That wasn't random. God is actually working things out for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. And the angel says, "Yes, yeah, that's exactly what's happening. And sometimes God redirects our plans and he has a different purpose. I've seen this play out in my life. And I want to just unpack that idea that sometimes God redirects our plans. Uh, when he has a different purpose, I want to unpack that just a minute to show you how that has played out in my life. My encouragement to you is for you to think about how has this played out in your life? What does that look like for you? So many of you know, uh, I was adopted as a, as, a, as a young man. I was taken away from a biological pam- family at one uh, about, about a year old. I was adopted around three or four, somewhere around there. And one of the things that, that is true, and if you go to a counselor, they're going to ask you, what was your relationship like with your father? Mothers, you are super valuable, but mothers, you're just better than dads. And so uh, a young person's relationship with their dad has a huge impact on their future. And so I had this longing growing up, and uh, my dad was great. I love my dad. Uh, he 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 was legally blind. And one of the greatest joys that I had would be to take my dad by the hand and to lead him through the grocery store because I felt such pride in being able to help him. I remember taking my dad and walking him to the bus stop and walking him around church. And there was such pride that came from my opportunity to help my dad. Because that's the relationship between a father and a son. And when I was nine years old, my dad passed away. He had a heart attack while we were watching The Price is Right with Bob Barker. And uh, and I, I tell you what, that was devastating. Like that's such a hard loss. And, and it, something I, I felt then, I felt even more as I grew up. And I had this longing to have this this dad in my life, this father figure. And so, one of the other things some of you may or may not know about me, I grew up in the I grew up as a Mormon, grew up in the Mormon church. And in the Mormon church, I say this is the grace of God. God gave me three mentors, three men who took it upon themselves to be father figures to me, men who taught me who, who taught me how to drive a stick shift, men who 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 just taught me what it was like to grow up and how to relate and how to, how to interact with people. Uh, these were men who showed up to my school events. These were men who were the greatest cheerleaders in all of my sporting events. And these were men who played such a huge impact on my life. And it was, it was, it was so great. In fact, there was another lady who, who said, you know what? Uh, me and my husband, uh, we know your dad would want you to go to college. So you listen. We're, when you go to college, we're going to pay for your college education. And I said, man, this is the grace of God, that God gave me some people to fill that void in my life and in my heart. And as I looked at these people, I wanted my life to be just like them. These were men who were wealthy. These were men who owned their own businesses, uh, a couple attorneys, uh, dentists. These are guys that were well off. And my plan in my life was I was going to go to college and, and get a couple degrees so oh, I could go and, and start a big business and be really wealthy and then be able to go and give back to my community by maybe coaching some youth sports because I thought, you know, I like kids and that, that was my plan for my life. And then one day when I was a junior in high school, there was this curly-haired girl that drove a Suzuki Samurai and she left her lights on in her Suzuki Samurai and I said, hey, hey, your lights are on. And she's like, oh, it's okay, they turn off when the battery dies, but they turn off, you know. And that started a friendship with this girl. And she began to argue about Christianity with me, about how what I believed wasn't the same as what the Bible believed. And we argued for a long time. And uh, uh, her aunt passed away at the end of my junior year. And they said, hey, um, you know, we're going to do a funeral. Would you like to come to the funeral? And I went to the funeral, and the pastor shared how you can know where you stand with God, for sure where you are with God. I'm listening to him talk about having this assurance of your relationship with God. And I'm thinking as a Mormon, I'm thinking, well, I don't have that kind of assurance. Like, I hope I've done good enough. I I hope I've done enough works to please God so he'll take me to heaven. But I just don't know. And so that pastor said, listen, if you want to know where you stand with God, here's what you need to do. You need to pray this prayer. And I prayed this prayer. And I thought, I have no clue what I just did. And it began this, this taste in me where the next nine months, I read my Bible. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. And I wanted to understand: listen, are these two things the same? This Mormon thing that I grew up in, and this Christianity thing, are these the same? And it took me nine months to realize these are not the same thing. So I said, you know what? I'm I'm leaving the Mormon church in my senior year of high school. I tell you, the moment I left the Mormon church, all those father figures, all those people that were so important to me that filled such a great void. Cut off immediately. Those doors were slammed shut. My mom, towards the end of my senior year, she said, "You know, we're gonna. I'm selling the house, and there just isn't gonna be room for you." So I, I say, I'm probably the only kid in my senior class that, that graduated and had his own apartment in the same month. The way my life played out, Listen, I can't tell you about the loneliness I dealt with. I can't tell you about the pain the heartache of going through that. You know, at the same time, that girl in the Suzuki Samurai, I got to a knee and I said, hey, would you marry me? And she said yes. 16, 17 years later, we've got five kids. We've invested. We've invested our lives for the kingdom of God. We've had the chance to mentor hundreds of kids through Madison House. We've had the chance to to plant Restoration Church four and a half years ago. Listen, the fact that I'm up here preaching today allows me to reflect back, say, man, things didn't go according to my plan because God had a different purpose. God had a greater purpose. And I can think back, to to how many lives have been impacted because God didn't follow through with my plan, because God interrupted my plans because he had a greater purpose, a greater plan. Even where I didn't yet understand, even when I went through those hard times, I can look back and understand God had a purpose behind that. God was doing something for his good, for his glory. And I can say right now, if I could choose, I I wouldn't want to go back and go through all that again. But I can see how God used it. I can see what God was doing. Listen, this is where we say we don't have to understand the plan to trust that God has a purpose. This is true in the life of Mary and Joseph. This is true in my life. And this is true in your life as well. When you're looking and saying, I didn't plan this. Listen, don't doubt that God has a purpose with where you are today, with where you are in your life. Mary and Joseph, they didn't understand the plan, but God had a purpose. Because as Mary and Joseph, we know the story goes that Mary goes into labor. Remember where she went to labor in? What, what, what? She was in labor on a donkey. Ladies, labor on a donkey. And if you want to sign up for that, picture, you know, uh, she's driving or or Joey's leading the donkey. And Mary's like, you hit another red light. Come on, get this thing going, Joseph. And then, Joseph, man, he's so dead. Because they they get to Bethlehem and he didn't didn't reserve a room. He didn't go on to, to Expedia to reserve a hotel room. Remember what happens? They go to the inn and they say, there's no room in the inn. He is so dead. She's going to kill him, right? They say there's a stable out back. You're welcome to go back there. Is that your dream place to give birth to a baby, ladies? In a cave? Next to some farm animals? And what happens next in the story? We like to have this idea that, well, it was really easy for Mary and Joseph. Like, you know, when they said yes to God, everything was easy. No, it wasn't. I mean, you think, well, uh, you know, th- her birth was probably easy. She probably, you know, there was probably no pain. She probably had a heavenly epidural and she sneezed and the baby came out. Well, I don't think that's the way it played out. And then we know, well, the angels come and the shepherds come and the, there's all this singing and praising God and then everything's perfect from then on, right? In the life of Mary and Joseph? No, that's not the way it works. Because Herod, who's the ruler of the known world, says, man, uh, I hear about this baby being born and it's going to be Savior who's going to be the king of kings. So he says, I'm going to kill that baby. And Mary and Joseph then have to go on the run and run away to hide in Egypt so that way the king doesn't kill their baby. And You can picture Mary and Joseph saying, man, God, we said yes to you. We said yes to you, God, and, and we were faithful to you, and now look what's happening. Fast forward 33 years later. Mary... The woman who said, yes, God, I love you. Yes, God, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. She's looking on as her son is arrested. As her son is beaten. As her son is dragged through the city and then hung on a cross. See, Mary and Joseph, these are real people. Just like you and I. What do you think she was thinking as she saw her son on that cross? God, God, this isn't fair. God, 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 He didn't do anything wrong. He's sinless. God, we said yes to you. We said we would would raise your son. God, what are you doing? God, make it stop. That's my son. Make it stop. And there's all the soldiers cursing at him, spitting upon him. And what does Jesus say? He says, "Father, forgive them." They know not what they do. And Mary is looking on. She's watching in agony. As Jesus says, into thy hands I commit my spirit. He says, it is finished. He breathes his last breath. What do you think Mary's feeling right then and there? Is there any worse loss than losing a child. I've watched my brother-in-law and sister-in-law deal with the loss of their child this past year. And I don't think it's something you ever get over. Perhaps they learn to cope with it, but I don't think it's something you ever get over. I guarantee you this is not what Joseph and Mary had planned for their son. While Mary and Joseph had a plan, God had a purpose. You know what his purpose was? It was you and it was me. See, we say at Christmas time that Jesus is the reason for the season, and that's true. That's why we celebrate Christmas. But if you were to ask God, God, what is the reason for the season in your heart? Like what was it in your heart that caused you to send Jesus to the earth that we had this Christmas season? And and he would say, The reason that Jesus came is because of you. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The reason for the Christmas season is you and for me and for what Jesus has done for us. See, we couldn't make up this Christmas story. Like if we could dream up what the Christmas story, we couldn't make this story up in a million years. I mean, the religious people of the day the, the scribes and Pharisees, they had a, a plan on how the Messiah would come. The Messiah would come and he'd be a political leader and he'd be a ruler and he'd bring prosperity to the, to the nation. But God had a different purpose to strip his son of his righteousness in heaven and become a person in the form of a baby, baby Jesus in a manger. He grew up to live the perfect life. Who would never sin, and then who die on the cross. And who is he dying on the cross for? Died for you. He died for me. He died for us. We were his purpose. And that's why the verse 21 in our text of Matthew 1 says, She will give birth to a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That is why we celebrate Christmas. That is the purpose that God had in sending Jesus and giving us the reason for the season so that we could be saved from our sins. Listen, wherever you are today, I want you to hear that this Christmas story is truly a beautiful mess. Mary and Joseph, they had their plans figured out, they had plans that would honor God. These weren't bad plans. They weren't sinful. They would be God-honoring. But God had a purpose. His purpose was for you and I to be saved from our sins through Jesus Christ. I'm not sure how this story connects with you today. As you've got eight days until Christmas. Maybe you're busy trying to picture and plan that perfect Christmas. You've got everything planned just accordingly. You've got all the decorations. You've got to make sure all the gifts are perfectly wrapped with the perfect little bows. You've got all the food to prepare. Listen, I hope things go as planned for you. I hope things are as as magical as you want them to be. But I want to remind you that Christmas is a beautiful mess. And maybe you have a plan, but I'll tell you what, God has a purpose in your Christmas celebration. And for those of you who are here today and you're finding, man, and my plans have been derailed. My plans have blown up in front of my face. This is not what I anticipated. This is not where I expected to be at this stage of my life. Listen, if that's where you are, I'm sorry for your hurt. I'm sorry for the difficulty you're going through. But I'll tell you what, because of the goodness of God, because God is a sovereign God who controls all things, Listen, you don't have to understand the plan to trust that God has a purpose, that God is working things out for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. As we look at the Christmas story, as we as we talk about the birth of Jesus, I want us to understand that Mary and Joseph are pe- real people just like you and I. Mary and Joseph were people who had a plan. But I thank God that he had a purpose, and that purpose was you.